This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like-minded shows, visit howweare.org. That's H-O-W-W-E-A-R-E dot O-R-G. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, and today is my goddamn birthday. It's October 1st, I just had to put it out there. So uh, yeah, you know, send me presents, uh, send me money, whatever you have that you'd like to give as a birthday present, you can just send it to me and I'll really appreciate that. That's of course me being sarcastic. Anyways, the guest this week is Chris Hornbrook the drummer for, I hate to use the word, but metalcore juggernaut known as uh, Poison the Well. And he also currently plays in a band called Big Black Delta. He's a drummer, dude. He's a drummer. He's played for a lot of people over the years. But like I said, most notably, Poison the Well. Because who hasn't listened to Poison the Well that's been into hardcore punk, independent music, whatever. You've, you've, you've undoubtedly heard at least one song from them. So anyways, more on Chris in a minute. Let's get the business out of the way. Propertyofzach.com, they are our media partners. You need to be visiting there on a daily basis. Go there. You will find the latest in music reviews, the latest in tour updates, the latest in record updates. Like There's just so much stuff in there, and they also do great editorial stuff. They did great reviews on the Riot Fest that happened a few weeks ago. Um, Just a, a lot of cool takes on this scene and independent music in general. So visit them. Also, go to the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. I recommend stuff on uh, pretty much a daily basis. You'll be able to find music, movies, whatever, some some sort of pop culture artifact that you'll be able to trip into and hopefully enjoy in some capacity. And uh, if you want to review the show, go into iTunes, write some sentences if you're feeling generous, or if you're not feeling generous and you just want to drop some stars, because I know I mention it every show, but it really does make a world of difference because, um, you know, this show, I'm going to start trying to get advertisers for it because, uh, you know, as much as this is an awesome thing and I get a lot out of it, just from a selfish perspective, costs start to add up, whether it's like my travel time, driving all over the place to interview people, um, or just the simple cost of hosting these shows. It's not astronomical. I mean, it's not like thousands of dollars, but it's hundreds of dollars each year. And, uh, you know, I just want to start uh, covering that. So anyways, all that stuff adds into an advertiser looking at the show and being like, oh, hey, that looks like there's people that enjoy this. And it's got a lot of reviews on iTunes. So that helps. That's kind of why I keep harping that. So um, yes, and then you have heard at the very beginning of the show, we are part of the How We Are podcast network. Basically, I got together a few different shows who I personally listen to and really like and really respect the content that they are putting out. And uh, it's just fun. Basically, we all travel within the music world. There is the podcast called Stuff You Will Hate from a previous guest in the show. His name Sergeant D. Has some really cool and funny guests on the most recent show that he did was with The Story So Far, and uh, it was a very, very entertaining look at those dudes. And uh, yeah, they just kind of, you know, cut jokes for about 45 minutes of the hour-long podcast and then also got 
to some really cool talks that the band obviously was very comfortable in sharing. So anyways, there's that show. There's Let's Talk About Feelings, which uh, you know they, they label themselves as the black sheep of this podcast network. I don't necessarily agree. They may not hit on music as much as the other shows do, but uh, it lives within the music world, especially their continuing coverage of the fest down in Florida. They kind of preview bands and other things they're excited about to watch down there. So check out that show. And then there's also Nothing to Write Home About, which is Matt Pryor from the Get Up Kids. It's his podcast, and he has some extremely entertaining guests uh, just because he is so close with the people that he brings on. The most recent one uh, that he did with Will Noon, I really enjoyed that one. That was uh, He's the drummer for fun, and they just had a lot of cool stuff going on. So check out those shows. Go to the website, howweare.org. Business is all out of the way. One last thing that's a little observation, or actually more so a recommendation, because I've been getting some emails recently being like, you know, how, like, why did you even come up with the idea to start a podcast? And I mean, I've always been pretty open about the fact that I'm basically just ripping off the stand up comedian Mark Marin. He does a show called WTF. And if you haven't checked that out, I highly, highly recommend that. He does two shows a week and it just, it's, it's great content and great, honest conversation. So basically, I took that idea and wanted to do that. But I've always had a love for radio in general. Like I remember as a kid, they always had, I mean, I think everybody has heard the War of the Worlds. Orson Welles original like 1934 I can't remember exactly when it was broadcast but or actually 1923 maybe that's another date that just sticks out in my head but I've always loved that sort of radio drama um there's also a show that I, and I don't even know why I got into this stuff because it's like you know I'm like nine or ten years old and I should be playing video games but I'm getting super into radio drama like old time the shadow and there's also this, my favorite show of all time is called Arch Obler's Lights Out Everybody. Like, just saying that gives me chills. It's so fucking good. Uh, you can find it online super easily. Um, they have all the shows up for free. I mean, I, I think he did maybe like six years worth of shows, like so much stuff. And, um, you know, it's just, it's radio drama. So it's like, you know five or six people in a room acting this scene out in the way that like a play would unfold, except this is all based around the supernatural. Uh, some of it's cheesy, but some of it is just really fucking tense. And especially for the time that they were doing it, just mind-blowingly awesome. So anyways, it's a little random radio history because essentially podcasts are radio. And so that's kind of how I equate the two. So let's talk about Chris Hornbrook. Chris played drums for Poison the Well. Um, for the entire band's duration. I mean, missing, you know, maybe, uh, I, I think he says like maybe the first year of the band, I can't recall exactly, but the important fact to know is, uh, you know, he was just so candid about his time in that band, um, because Poison the Well, for all intent and purposes, you know, they revolutionized the way that hardcore and metal and whatever sounded in the late 90s. Uh, they took something that really hadn't previously been done before and incorporated that into the music scene. Like, I think anybody that goes to shows that is older than the age of 25 remembers when Opposite of December came out. It was just like earth shattering. Everyone was like, oh my God, what the fuck is this record and why is it so good? And to watch that band rise to prominence where it's like they would come through Southern California, play in front of, you know, three or 400 people next time play in front of like 600 people. And then it's just like, you know, then they're playing the house of blues, which at the time, that's not what hardcore bands did. And it was just awesome to watch all of these people get brought into the scene 
and brought into, I guess, hardcore in general by just this, you know, sort of a, a mainstream-ish type band. And I don't know, it was just incredible. So Chris talks about that. He talks about his craft as a drummer. And it was just a very awesome conversation. I went to his studio in Garden Grove and we just hung out there for, God, I mean, I think we talked for close to two hours. This is a more condensed version of that. But um, yeah, here's our conversation and I'll talk to you afterwards. And so it's like the my own introduction was like I mean I was aware of Poison the Well um, and it actually promises is, is this going now? This, we're, we're going man. We're oh, going okay. I didn't know I didn't know we were going. No 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 it's fine. Because did, did you play in Promise No Tomorrow or was it? No it was an Acre Lost. And an I, Acre I, Lost I, that's I, right. But you guys okay. did a split with that right? Yeah yeah. So the story with that was me and Ryan used to play when I was like fifteen. He was, I was fifteen. I think he was like eighteen. Yeah. yeah. Um, we played in like a like kind of like a pop punk. I don't want to say pop punk in the sense of what pop punk is now, but right, like right. old school AFI ish sort of like band. Right, right, right. And uh, him and our old singer Ari were trying to like they talked about doing a hardcore band and like you know they were just trying to assemble friends. And I got asked to join. Yeah, Ryan. I remember I was with Ryan and we were driving around in his old van doing something. We stopped at like a Seven Eleven. And he asked me, he's like, hey, well, you know, me and Ari and these people are putting together this thing. Would you be interested in playing drums? Yeah. And I was like, you know, absolutely. Like, this sure. is playing. I, at that point, you know, 15 years old, I'd only been playing drums for like three or four years. And I just want to play with as many people as possible because I knew that was what was going to uh, allow me to grow and get out there and meet more right. people, become a better musician, so on and so forth. And uh, I started playing. And at, the, at that point, like, I was just playing in punk bands. Right. So everything was fast, everything was whatever. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it just, my, what, the way I played at that point wasn't really inclined for what they were trying to do. It was, sure. It was hardcore. It was heavy and, you know, slow, then fast. And, you know, all, it was just it was just kind of a different vibe than what I was used to doing. Right. So I got kicked out. They were like, hey, we don't think it's working out, blah, blah, blah. It. And they got this other dude that was like, you know, he didn't really sort of, uh, he, as a dude, he fit in with them better at that point. Right. But his playing, not to say that I was great at the time, right, right, right. but I, the elements that I had outweighed what he had. You sure, know, it sure. just took me going to a few shows and expanding my mind a little bit more to right. really figure out, okay, this is what these dudes were talking about that they needed. Right. So he was in the band for two or three months, and then after that, they just like, hey, you know, we kicked him out, it wasn't working, would you want to come back? And I was like, got it. For sure. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so I, I just remember, I remember, it was weird because I think, I don't even know where I got that split. I think I might have been doing like freelance writing or something um, where it got sent to me and I just right. remember, so I remember, I remember that. I didn't plan it because that was the three months in which, because I helped kind of write the songs. Okay. Some of them, not all of them. Right, like, right, right. I think like Obstacle. Actually, I don't even remember these songs. Yeah, I was about to say, if you remember the song names, you were impressive. <laughs> uh, obstacle. Fuck. <laughs> All I remember is obstacle because yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you couldn't play double kick, and like there's <laughs> and like that was chorus. required. Yeah, 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 I was like, sure, you know. And I and I remember it was just like, it was all shitty at practice. Like, man, I right? Like, really damn it, I can't do this. It never got better. Like, I've never been a really great double kick player. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah my yeah. my inclination to play has always been like rock. So right, like the metal, like the very staccato feel and the feet and all the chops and shit like that. Like, I've developed chops since then, but they're not like the crazy like fast. It's like right, kind of right. like. 
I say jazzy because I'm not a jazz dude, but it has that sort of it has that vibe, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that swing to it, you know? Right, right, right. So I remember, I remember getting that. So it's like, and then when um, uh, Poison Well put out their first EP on Good Life, I think again it was like freelance writing where I got that sense right, of right, me, right. and I was like, oh, this like this is cool. This seems to be happening. Or yeah, like, yeah. There's something interesting here. But then obviously it's like the the complete game changer. I remember. I think it was. Uh, I think I just got it at a distro to show, um, like opposite of December. Distros at shows, of course. Uh, back when school. that existed, because I want to say that re- uh, opposite of December came out the same day as like Walls of Jericho, or I, it was. Yeah, like, I think they were like a simultaneous release. release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember Ghost Kill was like, "Hey, we're putting out opposite, and we're putting out." I forget the name of that record, but yeah, 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 Walls yeah. of Jericho record. Right, and so I remember, I remember getting it. I just it was like that that summer because what year did that come out? Was that ninety nine? Ninety nine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just remember. I mean, it was like you could not talk to anybody that hadn't heard that record. It was like yeah, I mean, it's, it's killer, right? It's really rad, actually, because it's like none of us had really no, I know expected that. No, yeah. and it, it was it was that first. It was honestly the first time in my own life where I really remember like a record capturing a scene, so to speak. Where, like no matter what you were into, if you were into like independent music, hardcore, whatever, oh, right. like. You were like, oh yeah, co- dude, fucking poison the well, like yeah. that record. Holy shit! It's totally right place, right time. You <laughs> yeah, know yeah, I mean? yeah. And like, also looking back on it, it's just like obviously all of us listen to hardcore music. You know, Derek was like really, really into fucking like Converge and like the whole right. Hydrahead scene. I mean, he kind of bounced around uh, depending upon where we were in the career. But at that point, he was really into that. And then Ryan was really into progressive rock and like, but he also loved like old school hardcore. <laughs> right, right. So right. it's like everybody kind of had like a different sort of. Uh, take on like on it so it was like a bunch of dudes kind of coming together that like kind of like everything under that sort of that umbrella right but then too like ryan having like a very like unique because like the sound of poison well that very like dissonant yeah. sound it that's ryan you know what i mean like yeah. i have to attribute that the sound of poison well is is ryan premack right like i mean obviously we've all sort of being in the band and you know, put derek, your stamp on it yeah yeah, 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 yeah yeah like derek took you know took it and ran and, and did his thing with it and me like creating with both of them be like hey we got these parts how do we put these together and then, right. you know we all sort of you know drew from that that you know his creativity but ultimately the son of poison well is is ryan right you know right I mean? and like without ryan there is no poison well even though we all were elements to it you know derek was a very big element i was a big element jeff is a big element without ryan and you, you probably you wouldn't you wouldn't have sounded like what you guys did exactly, exactly and I, I exactly I just remember that like I said that summer where it was like it just it just took over like when when did you yourself and I mean uh, I'll, I'll back up even further you know mm. after this question but right, right. when did you yourself like notice that it was like obviously this record became a thing where it was just like wow like whether um, it was like it's just kind of a you know I'm sure it was a gradual build but yeah it was definitely it was definitely a gradual build but it was more of those things that like with us being an acre lost and then the distance EP came out yeah like no one inside California <laughs> no one gave a fuck about us yeah yeah we yeah, were yeah. still like the black sheep or this like weird band with like at that point in that lineup everybody was awkward I was awkward Ryan was of course it was we had two singers it was just yeah, a yeah, really yeah. weird <laughs> it was just a really weird thing right you know what I mean and then we kind of refined and people left or we kicked people out and right. And then, you know, we got, like, the lineup, we got Jeff, and then, you know, Derek, and then we kind of, like, pieced it together, like, okay, this, like, this, like, feels right, this is, this is cool. Mm. And then we wrote Opposite, which was, if I remember correctly, the way it was written was weird, because it was, like, clusters of songs that were written with, like, me and Ryan, if I remember correctly, and, and, and other, and, like, whoever else was in the band, and then Premac quit mm-hmm. to play with Weird, Weird Fear and Weapons Me, because he just wasn't, he was more, it, that was just more where his head was at. So at that point, me and Derek and Jeff were like, okay, what are we going to do? And then me and Derek, we were like, well, we'll just 
let's just piece some shit together because literally those songs are just some shit pieced of together. Of course, of there's course. No, there's like very like... There's <laughs> yeah, no you weren't like writing semblance. for the song structure. Oh, no, right, there's right. no semblance of pop structure or, or <laughs> yeah, even yeah. like a progressive... Any, nothing. It's just like, all right, Derek, like, what do you got? Okay, cool. Like, well, I have this thing. Like, and I play like a guitar part. I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. Let's be, like, literally, we just slapped this shit together. <laughs> right, right. As most bands did during that time. That was riff. Like, that was riff upon riff no, upon no, riff. No, 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 no. This was the best thing. This is what Jeff coined it as. Riff, riff salad. Right, right. Quote. Riff salad. <laughs> it's totally true. Yeah, and it was awesome. You yeah, know, yeah. It was really, like, that, that totally, like, summed it up. But, um... But yeah, so we wrote it in like two, like it was written in like two different bits because Premac quit, and then we like to- we did, you know we toured for like a week. We did like right. a run, and then me and Derek, and then let's say Jeff didn't have anything to do with it. Obviously, Jeff would come in after and he put vocals down and, and you know and figure out should I scream here, should I sing here, should I talk here? Like how, oh, you know, cool. how should I, I go about doing this? But in writing it, like it was broken up into two things, and like okay, well we have these songs, we have like nine songs, and we were all excited, and like we just wanted people like to come to the shows and like. <laughs> feel accepted essentially at least that's how I felt because like we were always like the black sheep we were always like the weird band with the weird people that like nobody came (laughs) and suddenly like we got like a lineup that like worked and Mm. then we put our record like it'd be really rad if kids showed up to the shows and sang and then they started doing that and it just started getting really fucking wild and weird and 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 I I think I I, I definitely remember a um, because obviously it's always hard to pinpoint where it's like where like I said where it it started to feel like a thing but I definitely remember I think it was, yeah, I want to say it was either Hellfest 99 or 2000, was where like, it was like... That was a big, yeah, that was the big thing. Like, that was where it's like, holy shit, like, people... Because I remember they did, like, a poll of who you're here to see, and it was just, like, obviously Converge was at the top. Yeah. And then it was another band, and then it was, like, us. Right. It was, like, we were, like, in the top three bracket, and it was just, like, it was bizarre, because, like, <laughs> no one had, like, kind of... Like, that wasn't, like, the goal. The goal was just to write cool songs at, at that point with, like, our abilities. Right. And our budgets as well, because the opposite was recording like a week. Right, right. We spent no time. I mean, there's it's some of the most for me. It's some of the most embarrassing playing. Right, right. Yeah, it's just like, well, you yeah, think, you had no time. Yeah, at the time you think, oh, that shit's rad. I'm gonna put this there. I'm gonna put that there. And it's just like you know, I, even like a few later, a few years like listening back later, I'm just like, man, that shit sucked. That yeah, yeah. Really I like, wish I could have done that. Yeah, over. Right, to, right. And like sometimes you know, even to this day, which is really bizarre, people are like I really want that snare sound from that. that record I was like are you fucking kidding me that that record drum yeah. sounds terrible the performance is terrible the fucking the sounds are te- I mean it was like yeah. budget ass record I mean sure. I, I know that contributed to it because you know when you listen to like Bad Brains records if that's if like the earlier stuff was like mega produced oh yeah yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't feel the no, same no it didn't, doesn't have the same yeah yeah it's, energy yeah yeah same thing with like old Beatles records and like yep. Zeppelin and shit like that like the, the technology that they had at the time it like it became a, a part of it, the, the character of the music. Imagine yep. like Beatles songs now with like <laughs> auto tune, yeah, right, like right. auto tune and all. That. It would just be like it would just be the worst fucking thing ever. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, yeah. You you definitely are give whatever you're given. You obviously try to use to the best yeah. of your ability, and that's all you guys did. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was like I said. Like I'm really as much as I'm like, eh, I can't. Uh, no, that's it. Right. That's I, I cringe at certain stuff. Right. Like I don't. I especially too. I'm 32 years old. Like right. we wrote and recorded that from like 17 right. to like 18, 19 yeah, at least yeah. for me and Derek because me and Derek were like the same age right I I have a hard time identifying with that now oh of like course where I'm at I, I mean I had a hard time identifying with it like seven years ago right. because you know you move in different directions of course but but I, I'm really 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 grateful for that record mm-hmm. and everything that it allowed us to do and the opportunity that it brought of course and like I don't look at it as being any sort of influential record because I just don't think of myself and us as that. I just, right. It's just like, 
I'm making music with four of my friends, and we all have the same goal of what we want to do. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm just really grateful for, like, people's sort of appreciation. For right. Them. Well, that that something like because all that anyone can do as a musician is like you know if your music lasts for you know even ten years, twenty years, whatever. That's you. You have to be thankful for that because there's obviously oh, yeah. so, there's obviously so much shit that gets put out. Oh, no, totally. That's and that's and that's it. Like I don't look at it, but when people tell me like it's a super influential record, it's like you know top. It's just like it's hard for me to grasp <laughs> it because I'm just like I just think of just a bunch of kids in the studio not knowing what right. they're doing, putting together some riff salad songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and like playing to the best of our abilities, which were like right, right. Know, on a great Rud- scale. Rudimentary like, at best. On a great right. scale was like maybe like maybe like a D minus, maybe an F, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm speaking for my honestly, Of course yourself, myself, yeah. yeah. You know? Um and so you you yourself, like born and raised in Florida, where did you come up? Yeah, I was born in uh in Hollywood, Florida. Okay. And my parents lived in North Miami for like the first year of my life. Mm-hmm. And then we moved up to a place called Lauderhill, which at best is very ghetto. <laughs> very ghetto. I was yeah, like yeah. the only white kid in like an all-black neighborhood. Okay. At times there were other like white counterparts that would come in. Uh-huh. Sometimes I wouldn't, I, I would, I would, uh, we wouldn't get along or sometimes we would get along, you know? Right, right. But for the most part. And, and there's actually some people that I still speak to from like a... Back in those that, days. Yeah, this yeah. dude that I grew up with, Sky Ray Smith, that a very good dude. Yeah. Knew his family, like literally lived next to me and like I still, you know, I remember the, yeah. the first inclination of, 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 of just memory that I have. He's in that, yeah. And like even you know, thirty-two years later, like I still remember. It. You it's still just, remember that? It's yeah. kind of rad, you yeah. Know? So, what did your? Uh, did, do you have brothers and sisters? And what did your parents do for a living? Um, my parents both came from Canada. My dad was born in Montreal. Oh wow! And my mom was born in like a super super small town. Mm-hmm. Like, I think like four hours north of uh, Quebec City. So oh, geez, yeah. Middle of nowhere. Right, right. So my dad was a bass player. He traveled around, eventually met my mom. Oh, I had okay. grandparents that, uh, that would come down, the Snowbirds, which is like a typical... Yeah, yeah. Gotta thing. go to Florida. Right? Yeah, gotta go to Florida. They they would go for the wintertime and the yeah. summertime and shit like that, or some of that. Yeah. My, my grandma had really high blood pressure, so they would spend more time in Florida, so my parents were just like, hey, let's just... Go Let's down. go to Florida. Let's just go there, and then they liked it, and then they just stayed there. <laughs> got it, got it. Yeah, because I, I was wondering, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, Canada to Florida, that doesn't yeah, there's, well, necessarily make the, but I understand the connection. Yeah, 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 there's just a lot of a lot of Canadians just come down. Yeah. And, you know, because it gets offensively fucking cold, uh, cold yeah. in the winter, so they come down, and it's like, it, it's like it is in California right yeah. now for like two weeks in Florida. Right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> what do you, uh, and you, no brothers and sisters? No, only, ch- only child. Okay. Um, I had like an older, a cousin that was like an older brother figure that would come in and out. He okay. lived about an hour north and uh, sometimes he would come stay with us and he would okay. work with my dad because my dad uh, was a musician. Right. Obviously you have a kid. You're not. You're not going to be a musician, <laughs> you're not a musician yeah, anymore, musician. right? Right. 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 With, you know, birth into this world was that a planned or was that? A, oh, hey, this is happening. <laughs> it was planned by one, and it was not planned by the other. I'm sure you could figure out who was planned by and who wasn't planned by. One. <laughs> okay, got it, got it. So, uh, so yeah. So, but but well, at least your dad obviously felt the love, the level of responsibility to be like, okay, uh, like, I, I'm I'm like I'm really really lucky because both sides of my family, uh, I come from like a really like, what's the best way to describe it? Especially, okay, the way shit is today, yep. and there's just crazy kids, and like, you know, you see on the news of just these like shitty moms and shitty dads. Of course. Like, I don't know if it's just because of the times now, uh-huh. to what the times were, say, in like the 80s, but right. I, I'm really, really, really lucky because my mom is an immensely intelligent woman, and my dad is an immensely responsible, intelligent guy. Yeah. Both in different capacities, but sure. But, you know, mom's 
more book smart, dad's more like street smart. Right. So my dad came from a good family where it's just like, well, you got your girlfriend slash wife pregnant. Right. You have to take care of her now. You have to take care of your child. And my dad's like, well, all right. Here we go. A family family of of seven seven kids. And I saw my dad, you know, come from nothing. Right. uh, Sweeping floors at a fucking, you know, at a company to eventually working his way up and, and becoming a co-owner of the company making millions of dollars like yeah. he understood the level of responsibility because my grandpa always had jobs he always had to right. provide you know yeah so he had the it sounds like your father obviously had the uh, the hustle and the ability to you know just realize the responsibility which is yeah, awesome yeah yeah I mean and like I, I've learned a lot from both my parents but I've learned that like a good work ethic from my dad because sure. I, I spent tireless amounts of hours in this place like playing drums right just because it's like okay this is what I do and I have really good opportunities I've had you know the ability to continue to do this and make money, like I have to be the best that I can in my craft. Right. And right. I wouldn't have gotten that without my dad and my mom because they're both, they both have Yeah. And it's funny because hearing you say that, you've always, I mean, for the years that I've known you, you've always struck me as that person who, uh, you know, you view drumming as your craft. Like there, yeah. you know, there, I mean, obviously there are people that we've played with and, you know, played in bands over the years where it's just like they, they view that as like an instrument or just something fun to, or a hobby. Whereas, yeah. like, you, you know... Or you, it's a way to be in a band so you could, like, say you're in a band and you can get girls. Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. You have, like, the <laughs> right. glorification that comes with it. Sure. And that's cool if that's your thing, but, like, yeah, that's not... I, I've just... I've always gravitated, because, like I said, my dad was a bass player. Right. So I just... So he instilled that in you. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, yeah. Even, even past me, you know, him having to give up music, he always had his foot in some way. Like, he tried to open up a recording studio, studio in South Florida, which is damn near fucking impossible right, right. because like there's not much going, there's on. Not much going on down there yeah, but it yeah, was, yeah. he found different ways to just try to keep his you know keep his foot in something right 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 so you know I was always sort of exposed to it and then, sure you know. and so as you were uh, as you started to grow up so as you started to grow up um, you did you spend your formative years in that in that ghetto city as you <laughs> yeah I, I spent I spent about, about up until the age of 12 Oh, okay. City. And then my parents had just hustled and worked for a long time. My right. mom started working at a private university, and she was going to school. Got it. And, you know, my dad, he, he basically... And they, were, and they were together the whole time? Yeah, they were together the whole time. And then my dad, basically, my grandfather, my mom's father, mm-hmm. was just like, hey, you got a son coming. You know, my, my grandfather was a carpenter. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, here's a, here's a craft that you can make a lot of money off of. You could provide for my daughter, and you could provide for your son. Right. So... Probably about 32, 33 years ago, my yeah. dad started becoming a uh, a carpenter. Oh, contractor. okay. You know, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, what the fuck was I going with this? I do this all the time. I start <laughs> talking about something like... <laughs> and you're like, where did that thread yeah, go? Where the fuck, where the fuck am I <laughs> yeah, trying yeah, to go yeah. with this shit? No, the, the... Oh, the providing. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So basically, my, my dad worked his way up and made more money. So up until the age of 12, like, they had just been saving and shit. And sure. Just, so that's the point where they could afford a house. So we moved maybe about 15, 20 minutes north, which... You know, recently it wasn't that far. Yeah, yeah. It's like an all-white neighborhood. Sure. With, you know, like a really nice house. My dad, like, renovated for months because, you know. Yeah, because he, he had the ability to yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I spent my performative years from, like, you know, three because that's when I could remember reality of existing. Right, right. Until 12 and then from 12 until about 18, 19, we lived. I mean, I lived in that place because I went to high school. Right. Like that. But once I started touring, I always kind of looked at, like, okay, like, X amount of time is on the road, X amount of time is at this place. Right, And I slowly right. started kind of breaking my way apart of it. Sure. A- apart from it. Right, you know? right, right. And so the, uh, so as you started to go to high school, um, the, because obviously, I mean, those are your formative years as far right. as like, you know, that's when you start to be able to develop your own personality and make choices on your own. Yeah, you start understanding music. Right, and like, right. You know, you start understanding what, like, what, what 
certain cliques of people and yeah, what yeah. their interests are. Like, you can kind of see, like, where they're going to go in life. And, right. Where did, where did you start? Because obviously since music was always an important part of your life and, like, the... Um, that was always a value instilled in you. But once you started to get to high school, like, you know, when did, when did kind of independent music come a part of your world? And like, when did that start to swallow you up? Well, it, music started for me, obviously when you're a kid, you listen to whatever, like I listened to like, yeah, you know, I and MC Hammer and all that shit. Yeah. Because I mean, cool, you just don't know anything. You're just kind of like, Oh, rad, right. Like this guy. And like, yeah, he's awesome. Know, whatever. He's rad. You know, you don't know about anything. Right. And I remember really like falling in love. The first rock band that I ever fell in love with was like Queen. Oh, okay. And I was like, this is rad. This is amazing. Blah, blah, blah. And then, some Nirvana came in, not obviously not that obviously Queen and Nirvana is separated by uh, right. separated by a good amount of years, but I just had kind of gravitated towards that. I'm like this is rad, and these songs and blah blah blah, and then yeah, Nirvana and Soundgarden, that whole thing came in. But I was a little late to the Nirvana thing. I didn't jump on the wagon when um, when uh, Nevermind came out. Mm-hmm. I I was I sort of jumped on like maybe like as. In utero was coming. Oh, okay, yeah, like yeah. I purchased, I, I I bought the Nevermind record. Right, I was like, this is cool. Right, but and you then, didn't identify with it until it, it just didn't really click. I was like, this is cool. And this is right. And then in utero came out, and that for me was like a game changer. Like even to this day, it's like one of my top five favorite records. Right, There's not right. one bad song on that record. Yep, the, the production, uh, the performance, it just everything about it to me is like perfect for a raw record that doesn't sound like shit. Yeah, yeah, of course, right, <laughs> you know? right. And that was, very, like, that was very successful from a commercial perspective, S- right? Same, same thing for Soundgarden, Super Unknown, even though like, yeah. Spoonman is not really one of my favorite songs. Right. Every other song on that record's rad, and they were able to sort of find the balancing point of, like, having a big, you know, huge commercial-sounding rock record, but then having it feel raw and, like, feel like... Have, a, like, a life behind yeah, it. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, if you listen to it, it, it just... I mean, those two records for me, like, production-wise, if, if someone's like, hey, you can make a rock record and you could have a raw production, but it still has to be big and whatever, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I would... You're gonna, like, those are two reference yeah, points, yeah. Two rep- even though they're, they're different. Yep. They're definitely different reference points. Obviously, whatever I would be doing at the time, I'd have to be like, well, it's more in line with this, more in line with that. Right. I would... Those were still, even to this day, I would I would gravitate towards those two records. Sure, I think sure. That they, they both sound phenomenal for rock music and, and having the sort of that, that grit yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Needed, it's got, yeah, it's got, it's got, it's got guts behind it, but then obviously it has a heart behind it too. Yeah. And so when did, then when did, uh, when did you start to delve into, you know, like you were saying, like obviously the first like sort of punk bands that you were yeah. playing in, like. So it started with like local bands. Yeah. There was like local hardcore bands and local punk bands. And for the most part, all the names escaped me. I don't know why. <laughs> I remember yeah. there was a hardcore band called Tension, which. Uh, oh yeah, they put out some stuff. I, yeah, I, I remember seeing them way back in the day. Yeah. And uh, there was like. There's not many venues that play in South Florida. There was this one sure. place called The Edge, which was like the place. Right. It was, I think Cap on the Room was like maybe a thousand. Oh, okay. It was probably, actually, it was probably more at that time because the, the venue is still open now, but it's uh, it's called Revolution, and they went in, like, you know, there's fucking uh, Shepherd Fairy art on the wall. Oh, and they okay, yeah, cut, yeah. They cut like a quarter to like a, a like a third off of the back, so it's not as big. But okay. that was like the spot, and like back in the day, it was super grimy and gritty, and I remember going there and seeing like tension and like... It was like a hardcore band, mm-hmm. then it was like a ska punk band, and then it was like it was just like a hodgepodge because it's just like South Florida. There's not like right. you know California. There was like particular scenes like this is yep. the metal scene or this is the hardcore scene, right. and like all those cluster of bands stay together and they play together. Right. South Florida it was like kind of like <laughs> whoever we can get. Who, yeah, well, you, you mean, played there, a band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there were there were at that point there were certain certain some bands because there was like AAA against all authority. There was yep. a band called Hudson. 
there was this band called the Crumbs. I mean, and and that was kind of like the, that was more of like the punk realm, as as you know, there being other punk bands as well. Right, right. And then the hardcore scene, there was like Tension, and I think Shy Hulud was no, it was Strongarm. I think was around yeah, at that Strongarm, time. Yeah, Strongarm yeah, yeah. was around at that time. And I mean, obviously there are way more. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. I'm just yeah, trying yeah, to think yeah, off, yeah. off the top. Bird of Ill Omen, yeah. Bird of Ill Omen, <laughs> early incarnation Bird of Ill Omen when Damien Moyle was still. Yeah, singing. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, because I mean, Florida was always weird from an outsider's perspective. Because like being from Southern California and starting to get into you know hardcore and punk like around the same time, like you know whatever, like ninety five, ninety six, and yeah. started to becoming aware of like oh, there's other pockets that exist. And I definitely remember South Florida being like oh, there's weird, like there's interesting, there's interesting stuff it's, that it's, comes out of it's, there. Yeah. South Florida is a really weird place because you then you have Strong Arm and Shyhood, which yeah. share, share the same drummer, right? And they they you know they were all friends and they shared like a sort of like a like there was a thread that went of through course. both. The music, you, could, you know, you could you those two were together. Then yeah. you had, you know, then, then you had Morning Again, which was yep. what Morning Again was, right, right. And then you had Bird of the Omen, and right. then you had, I mean, and I'm, I'm at, this is like pre Poison the Well, I'm oh, of course, the bands that, yeah, like, like when you started to go to shows and started to see that yeah. it existed, right? Yeah, right. like Bird of the Omen, there was this band from Miami called Brethren, yeah, um. Culture. <laughs> yeah, I was culture was pre me. Yeah, yeah. No, I know that was pre yeah. me. I mean, that was like ninety, you know, early nineties, like to like ninety four ish or something yeah. like that. Yeah, but no, totally. Yeah, it's a way. But did you get like? Did you get introduced to shows just like via friends at high school or like how did you? Well, it, since it, you didn't like it, it just, being an only child, you don't have that sort of older brother experience. Like, yeah, or you don't have the older brother that kind of hands you down and like. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think. Oh, you know what it was? This I re- I remember the definitive moment <laughs> yeah. was that two of my friends that like weren't associated associated with anything. They just like they like punk rock. Like yeah. they listened to like No Effects and Pennywise and when all that shit was like really big and still like what it, I'm not to say that it isn't anything now because obviously yeah, yeah. No Effects is still a relevant band. Oh, there. totally. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I remember them saying there's this one particular club in in uh, in the city that I lived in, Davie. It's called Club Q, mm-hmm. and and then they were just telling me they're like. We went to this venue and there was just like normal people there and then they got on stage and, and played. And it was just to us, it just like it was just this thing that was just like what? Yeah. Like, a light bulb went that? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Because at that point it's just like Right. You know, I went to what were the what were the the concerts that I went to see prior to that? It was right. the idea that it was a, an achievable idea to get on like to write some songs. <laughs> right, and get on stage. Well you, you look at do look it. at your reference point of just like Queen, like the yeah. one of the most theatrical bands of all yeah, time. You're yeah, like, yeah. how can I achieve? How can someone achieve that? So yeah, I totally. Yeah, and it was just like <laughs> there's just these normal dudes, and like they just got on stage. So at that point, I started going to shows at Club Q, and then I started meeting people, then yeah, start branching out, and like you know, you know, it is you kind of yeah, you start to see a scene, and you're like, oh, I want to be a part of this, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that's that's. that's and had you had you started to play drums at that time too? Yeah, I was, I okay. was playing drums. So the, and why did you choose drums? Uh, I know that seems like an obvious question, I, but I, like I, you know. <laughs> I, I to be honest, like it really appealed to me just to beat the shit out of a drum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, no, no finesse, no nothing. It right. Literally, just to just to fucking beat the shit out of a drum. Sure. So I was like, "That's rad." I I, I let me try doing that, and then I just like I started playing drums. Did your dad buy you the kit, or like here you go? Yeah, there was yeah. a kid in our neighborhood that was selling a, like a CV percussion, like you know, eighty five thousand for like two hundred bucks, and it came with cymbals, and but it was wow. like janky, like of course, yeah, yeah. it was a total st- intro kit, right? Oh, full on. Intro kit, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and this was like pre Guitar Center, so it's just right. like you couldn't. My dad this... was like the idea, like drum sets, a lot of money because you know you go to mom and pop places and they gouge you. Yep. So you know, two hundred bucks. So it was like, all right, well, cool. You know, I got the kit, and he's like, 
they definitely were not stoked because I put the thing in my room and I would play. Right, right. It was totally punishing, especially yeah. too, because you're trying to figure shit out. You're trying to like... Right. You're terrible for yeah, so long. Ter- ter- I mean, I was terrible even when I was in Poison the Wild. Right, right. I mean, you know? <laughs> right, 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 like, right. You know, early, early, the early Poison the Wall stuff is like embarrassing. Like, I can't even... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, I mean, you are your own worst critic and, you know... Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. But... But, well, that, well, that's cool that your parents, because yeah, it's it takes a, a certain level of understanding for parents to be like, yeah, you can get a guitar and you can do yeah. this, but then it takes a different level to be like, oh yeah, drums, all right. Well, no, but, <laughs> but that's the thing. They bought me the kit, and it took me forever to like prove to them that it was this is like a valid path in life, okay. which is a normal thing because like, my my dad he was a bass player and he did some stuff, you know, he toured like South Africa and like yeah. he did his his stint, but like he had a free, he had a frame of reference, right? yeah, but it's. it's he didn't. He wasn't part of a scene. He didn't listen to punk. He was right. trying to do the jump from like we're playing in a bar band and fucking you know yeah Dick get signed head, to a major label from fucking yeah. X record label shows up. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna give you a million dollars because you guys are great. And then you go from being like the bar band to like being the fucking yeah, yeah. band in the world, biggest band in the world. You know that was his frame of reference. That it was just this leap. And obviously the punk, uh, the punk movement in like the the, the was it late seventies, early eighties yeah, yeah, yeah. of like. No, we're just going to do that shit ourselves. We're going to put out our own records. We're going to get our own distro deals. We're going to get in the van. Like, he didn't understand the steps to get there. Sure. And obviously, at that point, it was well established. Of so course. I was like, wow, there are steps. You, you, you don't necessarily, you know, you're not going to be the big, you're not going to be Nine Inch Nails where you're like making millions of dollars per show, but right. like, you can get to a point where like you could own a house and like you could own a nice car and like you could right. just stay you can in live living. comfortably. Right, right, right. The, the steps, the steps have been built, but they weren't there for him. So I think for, if, for both my parents, they were just like, what are you doing? Like, go to college, you know, go yeah. do something. Cause you had no, I, I presume, I presume by the time that you started to go to shows and started to be fully entrenched with that in high school, you were, you already were bitten. You were like, I, there's, ah. I don't, I, I'm not going to go to college. Like there's no well, interest no, from that. I or? wanted to drop out of high school. My mom was just like, no, <laughs> my dad's just like, well, you got to go to college. You got to figure something out. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, fuck, I am going to have to figure something out. Like, Cause at the point like, I, you know, my, my parents had helped me buy a car, but they're like, oh, you know, we'll help you get it. But you make the payments, you pay the insurance. Right, right. So I was like, fuck, I'm going to have to pay for this car now. Right. You're like, oh, damn, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not, but not pay for the car because I was paying for the car. I meant to say, like, man, I'm going to have to get a full-time job. Because at that point, I was working at, like, bullshit clothing store, bullshit yeah, yeah. restaurant or whatever. So I was like, man, that means I'm going to have to, like, work for real. They're going to want me to, like, pay right. bills. I just wasn't ready for that because at yeah. like, 17, 18 years old, like, you're still trying to be a kid. And, of like, course. Jack off in the corner, or right, right, whatever right. the fuck, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 the totally. shit that you do as a kid, you know, like you just you don't really want to take that big leap. I remember, I remember my dad's like, you got to start paying for your cell phone. I was bummed as fuck. Now it's just like, <laughs> yeah. you know, as like a thirty-two-year-old man, it's like I pay for a car, like, <laughs> right, right, right. Like, you have all these, yeah, yeah, yeah. Real, like real shit. Like I'm trying to like buy a, not I'm not I'm trying to buy a house now, but I'm trying to plan to buy a house. Right. Well, but yeah, but the first like because that that's like the first semblance of. A responsibility where it's just like yeah. there's there's a bill that has to be paid and the responsibility lies solely on you and it's like oh wait yeah shit. my parents weren't rich you know like my grand right. like I said like my grandfather on my dad's side got really lucky like mm-hmm. I said like his story is really unique because he came from like a broken home and like started sweeping the floors of the fucking company and eventually went to like making millions like, yeah that yeah. to me is like a fucking rad like the story. The stories that he doesn't talk because he's, he's stoic as shit. He doesn't ever say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but what just, you have heard. Yeah, right, right. you know what you would have heard. And, like, it's just, like, that to me is, like, a really fucking cool story. And he was generous with his kids, but he wasn't, like, to the point where he's just, like, 
you don't have to do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you're my, taking care of for the rest of your life. My, right, my, right. My, my dad worked his fucking ass off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes that he needed help. Obviously, parents help when they can. Of you course. Know? And I'm grateful for that. And, and you know, everybody's grateful for it. Of course. But uh, yeah, my parents like. I mean, buy, yeah, like buy me a house or like anything right. like that. Like fuck, like, <laughs> no, that's no, ridiculous. No. They could barely hold on to their house. Right, alone, right. Like buy me a house or buy me a car. Like they bought me a. Like, Help me buy a clunker. Right, right, right. And I paid it off. Right. And so so then when you so obviously as you started to transition into the idea of like, okay, I want to pursue music, I just have to figure out ways to do the this. Intangible like, became tangible as soon as it was, it was like, well, we're going on tour. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, okay, let's get in the van. Or oh, I remember the really big moment was like, okay, well, if we're gonna start touring, mm-hmm. we have to buy a van. Yeah. And, and it was just like, whoa, that's like a huge fucking responsibility. Yeah, it is. And I forget how we did it. I, f- I think we financed it. We put it under Jeff's name. Jeff's like, oh, I'll do it. Yeah. And he just forgot to pay the payments a bunch of times. And like, oh, shit. shit all over his credit. <laughs> oh, God. And I remember at times that he'd be like, fuck, you know, he'd be in the van. And like, oh, fuck, I forgot to pay- make the payment or like whatever. And, and I just, in my back of my head, I was like, man, I'm glad I didn't take that <laughs> like, I'm glad I didn't take that yeah. responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not my name. I actually kind of forgot what happened to that van. Right. It, was, it, was, it just faded away. It yeah. faded away. I think at one point, like once Poison Wall got really rolling and like we could afford shit, I think we got like a Ford, like a brand new Ford or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. And I think it like stayed at Ryan's ex-girlfriend's place forever until they like just trashed it. Right. It like, just, yeah, we'll sell it for scraps. Something something yeah. along those lines. Another thing that impressed me about once Poison the Well started to, you know, like after Opposite of December came out and there was so much attention to you guys. Um, and then once you were in a position where you guys could like obviously, you know, and I, I don't use the words like give back, but like you always like, I mean, I, I, I so distinctly remember when, you know, I got a phone call for us for Taken to do like four or five shows with you guys on the West Coast. There was, like, no no reason whatsoever for you guys to, like, give us that offer right. at all. Um, but, like, we were just, we were ecstatic about it because we were like, okay, we're going to be playing, like, you know, we don't have to worry about kids not showing up to the show. Which, by the way, let me make an off point that, like, yeah, yeah. A, a side note, if you will, yes. that is funny because, like, I remember back in the day, like, that band's fucking huge. They draw 150 yeah, yeah. kids. It's just, like, yeah, that's not huge. No, no, huge is like <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If you're like, yo, you draw like ten thousand people. Yeah, yeah, I, that's I huge. Love, I love that. Like from the period of like '99 to like 2006. Yep. The frame of reference of huge was like you could draw four or five hundred kids. Oh, dude, huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. huge. You know, it's, and it's just like that's not huge. Right, I mean, right. Yeah, yeah. It's it just, rel- relatively sweet, yeah. but yeah, it was like I just Rel- relative to the scene and like what totally. people were drawing. But it's and, just and funny. The, yeah, and the feeling like I just I distinctly remember like, the feeling of not having to worry about if kids are going to show up to the show. Like, I know at the very worst, there's going to be, like, 150 kids at the show. Like, and once you started to feel that, you're like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. this is okay. Yeah, like, uh, you're right, exactly. Um, but because you were playing small rooms, too. So, of course. Like, you pack in 150 kids, like... And it felt great. A place like my studio, it's, like, the yeah. coolest fucking thing ever. Like, you feel like you have the biggest dick in the world. But right. like, man, these kids are just yeah. in here. Dude, it's they, sold out, bro. Yeah, and they're, like, hanging from the rafters and, like... Or, not the rafters, like, the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Holes in the walls and, like, just, like, going apeshit. Like, that was the coolest thing ever. Like, yeah, yeah. It feels good, yeah. And, but I, I just... I always remember you guys, obviously, like... And I think, I mean... Knowing that you guys were kind of like the, like you said, the sort of you know weird band from the the South Florida scene, um, it went from weird band to like like being like the cool buzz band. It was just like a weird concept, right? Like no one was really like everybody didn't want to treat it because like I know, especially now, I'm definitely not going to name names because like yeah, it's yeah. just not my thing. But right. <laughs> like certain bands, like you know, they make a little bit of a wave and then they think they're fucking God. Of course. You know what I mean? Like, you see that all the time. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. That's like, it's a pretty, like, it's a pretty ubiquitous thing. Like, especially now. And I think it's maybe 
because of where music's at, but also to maybe the generation that's coming in as well. Like sure. Self-entitled, quote-unquote. Right, 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 right. But I remember all of us trying to be like, yo, like, let's keep our heads as level as we can, like, try to, like, make clear decisions and, like, be responsible and smart, uh, smart about this because it's like, this is, like, our opportunity. Like, we saw, like, this is an opportunity to do something. Like, yeah, you know, we have these abilities and we've got a manager that's like, you guys can go to a major label and you can get money or you can go to, you know, right. all these things. And it's like, we have to, like, we, we have to be responsible and smart about this and not blow our money and, like, That's not- cool. That's cool that you guys, because it, it did strike me that you always had that, that you had that uh, mental headspace. But it's cool that, you, like, so you guys really did legitimately have that conversation where it's like... Oh, yeah. Have- I mean, we could easily, when we got signed to Atlantic, I yeah. mean... Fast forwarding, we of could course, easily yeah, yeah. we could easily got a way more money. Like we got, I mean, as of now, like we got a shitload of money to like right. as a living advance <laughs> and as a recording advance. Right, right. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, this like we could have probably got like two or three or four times that amount. But we're like, let's because we're like kind of this weird like heavy obtuse. Because at that point, that was You Come Before You, which is right. like just like a weird, obtuse record. Right. You know, we have to be smart about this. And, like, the idea was always to double sales. Yeah. So it's like, okay, Opposite did, like, 25000 Right. And, okay, then Tear did 50000 Right. And then You Come Before You was supposed to do 100000 Right. Which they all reached their mark. But, like, when you're on a major label... They want to see the return quickly. They, yeah, 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 They yeah. want to see a million. 100000 of them is fucking nothing. It's they a joke. They don't yeah, get yeah. it. They just laugh, you know, just laugh at it. Right, right, right. But we were always, like, really... We tried to be, like, really conscious about it. Like, that's why we didn't jump in the bus. And we, that's why we didn't have a lot right. of crew. Because, like, we were just like, let's let's not take a bunch of money so there's not this big expectation. Let's not jump in the bus because bus is, like, a grand a day. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're just and, burning like, money, yeah, right? Yeah, you're just, you're just pissing money away. And we're like, let's just be smart about this. Let's yeah. approach this. We, we wanted to ferment ourselves as, like, a band that will be around, you know, 10, 20 years. Like, the, like you know, like the Tools or, like, the Deftones or, like, those right. type of bands were just, like, they could go out. And obviously, we didn't even come close to reaching any of those marks. But that was the plan. So yeah. It's like, you could just make the music you make and then go out and tour and fill up, you know, two to four to six thousand cat places and get huge guarantees and you could sustain yourself and you right. could have a good life. Right, right. But, um... Yeah, yeah, but no, I mean, it, it, that, it's cool because it, it, from the outsider's perspective, it did strike me that you guys obviously were, um, you know, intelligent. We, we, we were you, too conscious about everything. That, that was all, it was, it, as much as it was, it was an advantage for us to think that way, it was also detrimental because sometimes we became too concerned with things that didn't matter. Okay. Opposed to, like, just being like, well, okay, well, if these particular sect of kids don't give a shit about us anymore because we're not doing this side or the other, right? Then you got to be true to yourself and you got to do what makes you happy. Whereas, just like sometimes dudes would get in headspaces where it's just like fuck, and they would be bummed, and you go know, on said message board or said site, and all these people are talking yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, it doesn't stay with you because it doesn't matter because right. whatever. But you know, it, you if you're one of those people that do troll the internet and you are in a band, you are gonna at some point fall upon something that is not favorable favorable to your band, your record, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You as a person, right. right. Yeah, exactly. you as a person or whatever, and you're just going to read it and you're going to get bummed for two seconds and then you're going to just like, well, whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? So, so I, what, what did you reflect, I mean, obviously now that you have a chance to have perspective, what did you got, What did you find that you guys were overly concerned about that obviously didn't, what, was it like the fan base? Like no, the, it was more just people pleasing. It was like people pleasing like within like our internal structure mm-hmm. of like managers, business managers, lawyers, people at like the record label, feeling that you have to have a friendship with them. Okay. And it's just like, it doesn't work that way. Like right. you can have a friendship. You can be friendly. You can, be friendly. You can right. be friendly. Like we're still friends with our old manager. He's managing sleigh bells now. And, you right. know, like you know, he met Derek yeah. 10, 12 years ago. You right. know what I mean? Like 
and he's a good dude. And that obviously that, that friendship lasted and, and, you know, I think everybody sort of understands, you know, when it's time to talk about business, you sit down and you talk about business when it's time to be friends and you're friends. Right. You know? Yeah. But I think everybody was too overly concerned about like not upsetting the order and, and not, you know, trying to have a relation or friendship with like the guy that, you know, we were on like a sub label of Atlantic. Right. It was Atlantic. It was really weird the way the relationship worked mm-hmm. where like we would go into meetings and talk about this, that, and it would be the guy from the sub label and then be two or three people from Atlantic. Right. Atlantic wasn't just like the money people. They were like in on it as well as for, as, as in terms of like the decision making and everything. Sure. So it's like everybody wanted to be like, oh, let's be friends, fucking guy from, you know, record label. Let's right. be friends. And it's just like, you, you you get let's be friendly let's be cool but like when it comes down to it like we have to look out for ourselves and, sure. I, and I feel like sometimes that we didn't fully we didn't really fully do that because we were young and, and well and you, not that, fully aware right well and plus that's obviously how you conducted business in the past in the hardcore scene right everybody we were buds with you know yeah. and, and and I mean even to this day even though that I I'm you know I'm not even playing in any really any hardcore bands right right that's important to me right to show up in and and you know whatever band I'm in, be friend, be friends. Like I, yeah. I, I look at like being in a band, it's just as much as like now I'm more in the hired gun realm. Right. I, if I'm going to commit myself to something, if I'm going to say, okay, like I'm a hired gun, but I want to be with that. Like I want to be friends with the people that I'm in it. Like of the person that I'm working for said person or said people, like I want to feel like it's not a job that I roll up and I do it. They appreciate me. I appreciate them. But at the end of the day, it's still their thing. They still make the decisions. Right. At the end of the day, I show up, I collect my paycheck, I don't worry about merch, I don't worry about overhead. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, but there's a mutual respect and understanding. Sure. You want to leave people with that impression of just like, dude, Chris is professional, he's on point. Yeah. Like, just great. And because that way, that obviously paves the way for any other jobs you may get in the future or whatever. It's like, yeah, you never exactly. know when things are going to come full circle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, uh, you know, coming from the hardcore scene, like, you know, you become friends with promoters, you become friends yeah, with yeah. people that run labels, you become friends with people in other bands. Like, you know... The, the sense of community and the sense of family is like really really important even to this day even, even though right. now I'm playing electronic music right dance music in a world that like everybody loves to fucking put their nose in the air right, right. other bands and think they're the fucking coolest thing ever right right you know I'm really lucky that I'm in a band with a dude that's like cool as shit and mm-hmm. gut is totally like as much as people might look at him and be like he looks like that Right. He's the complete opposite person. He's a very considerate person, very respectful dude, super professional. Yeah. And it's just like the he, he hates that mentality. Right, right, right. You so know? he's rallying against it. But that's, I, I think it's a very interesting point you hit on in regards to the fact that <clears throat> there um, there was so there were so many instances where you guys were obviously like you said you were so careful to uh, handle your business a certain way and then obviously when you know the machine you know churned you out as it did where it's like after you know the uh, you come before you or it's like because I just remember everybody being like the way that the label was positioning you guys to be was like hey here's the next Deftones like, yeah that was and that was like that was the goal but the problem is is like we jumped on a major label. Not wanting to play ball. It's yeah. a very stupid move. <laughs> yeah, We yeah. should have just been like, hey, Roadrunner, or hey, Epitaph. Right. Like, you know, we have common interests, and you understand how a band like us would work. Right. And, you know. Because there, there, I mean, at that point, there was a legitimate, like, quote-unquote, bidding war for you guys. Like, everybody was talking to you and wanting to get... Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody was, I mean, like I said, we had, like, big sums of money thrown out. Right, right. You know, and it's just like, whoa, like, this is fucking crazy. I remember one, at one point, I was sitting in the van. Yeah. And Derek comes in, he's like, oh, you guys, you know, you guys want to fly to Los Angeles? Because we, after this tour, because, you know, 
we need to seal this deal if we're going to put this, if we're going to get this record out. Right. Instead, time frame and, and have everything move in like a timely manner. Sure. We need to figure this out. Right. And at that point, it was between Atlantic and DreamWorks. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, the dude at DreamWorks, they were interested, but at that point, they were dealing with AFI. AFI was really big, and they had, I think they were bidding on a few of their bands. Right. That were more like in the rock kind of refused element. Oh, sure, Whereas sure. at that point, we were like hardcore band. But right. Like, oh, you, yeah, 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 yeah. It was just more like a little bit less like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yep. that just that, of course. That, that, that particular sound and look and all that shit. Right, right. It's funny because then we went with Atlantic for like a very low sum of money, but even right. today's standards is like a shitload of fucking money. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If I can make a record for what we made for you, I mean, I can make a, let's just put this way, like for <laughs> what we made for you come before you, Yeah. we could have made the record, was that, how many times could we have made that record over? <laughs> like seven or eight or nine times. <laughs> Say our last, the last Poison Wall record. Right. We made for X amount of dollars, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is, I mean, it's always funny to put it in that perspective. Yeah. It's just, um, and the, I mean, from the moment that you guys obviously made that decision to, you know, go with Atlantic and then obviously, like. Because they understood. We right, like, right. This is the type of band where you're going to ask us to do this and we're going to tell you to suck a dick. Right. You're going to ask us to do that and we're going to tell you to fuck off. And that's what, that was the whole, the, coming back, that's the right. whole not playing ball part. Right. And they're like, cool, tell us to suck a dick, it's fine. Because they thought that because we were able to sell X amount of units and we had this hype, that it was going to translate into that world. And sure. it was going to expand out. Right, right. And we just did everything to just fucking fuck ourselves in the ass. <laughs> just, just. But, no, no, but the funny thing about it is like, we did everything. Like, you want to do this work? No. No. We want to do that? No. Yeah. And it's just like, after a while, we're just like, are we going to like say yes to anything? Right, right. And then they had the whole merger of Electra and Atlantic. And they're like, oh, yeah. okay, we value you. They dropped a shitload of bands. Right. And they're like, okay, we value you guys. We think that you're going to do something. You know, we want to keep you. And then we just kept going. And, that, and that's when we started writing versions. Right. And versions was just a really difficult period of time because it was like, we we're going through that. Right. And Derek had quit. Right. So Ryan, because like I said, the sound of Poison Mill came from Ryan. Right. But Derek is a very aggressive dude and yeah. he was just like he took the ball and he ran with it and he had his own musical ideas right and you know not to say that ryan didn't have a big part to do with it because ryan was a very very massive part there's you know right. a, a botula is basically ryan's song right right you know what i mean like that's the, i mean that, it came from him right, it came right. from him you know what i mean and like without like i said without ryan I'm, i mean without ryan there's no poison well right p- period but um that's my point again. no it's okay <laughs> <laughs> i did it all the time I have long ass conversations and no, keep and digressing then further right, away and from then the you're point. Like, oh, what's and that? You're like, where the fuck was I going? Yeah, where'd that go? Yeah, but the the so obviously because you guys weren't playing ball, it's funny that you. I mean, you obviously did ask yourself that question. So it it seems to me that there was obviously a huge level of uncertainty where you guys were just like, I don't know what the like what what are where are we going to go? You from? know, you know what it was. I think that when we signed to Atlantic, our manager at the time mm-hmm. thought that eventually that we would play ball. Got it. And he thought that he can convince us to play ball at some point. And not, like, in a bad way, but in, like, hey, guys, this is beneficial for all of us. Right. Like, you guys play ball. You can continue doing what you want to do. Right. And, you know, yeah, you might have to do a little of this or a little bit of that, but you're still making what you want to make. You're doing exactly – you're your own bosses. You own your own fucking company. Like, you know, and then every, you know, everybody's making their money. Yeah. And the, the label, everybody's fucking happy. You right. Know? I thought, I, I think that maybe deep down he thought that he would have been able, he was telling them, don't worry, guys, I'll get them to play ball. And then that shit happened where it's like, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got it, Because there's, it. I mean, there's some stuff that I was willing to do, too, and then there's some stuff that I was like, man, that's stupid, I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's, sounds... that's like, that's, that's, that's to me is just like, 
is not what I'm into. Now, right. this day and age, it's like common practice. It's just like, bring it on. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like, Do everything and anything. Yeah, 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 yeah anything yeah. and everything. Like, whatever is going to get me big. And, like, there's a part of me that's, like, really happy that, like, yeah, you know, maybe maybe we fucked ourselves a little bit. Right. But at least there's a certain level of, like, pride. Right. A certain level of, like, man, like, we didn't suck every dick that <laughs> came our way. Right. Like, you, you felt like there was a sense of... Like integrity in what you guys were doing. Like there was obviously there was always it, there always was even from right. from from day one to like the the last show that we played. We're like, yo, we're going on hiatus. We're not doing this anymore. Right. There's always like a sense of pride and integrity of like what we, what we will and what we won't do. Mm-hmm. And and as obviously as we got older and things changed, we understood. Okay, maybe we were a little too hypersensitive about that. Right. Maybe we were too sensitive about that. You know, obviously, like if you want to continue to do this, like there, we are gonna have to make compromises as long as it's not the stuff that matters. As long right. as it's not the music. Or, you know, how we sort of portray ourselves in the press, you know, not rolling up with, like, everybody wearing, like, right, you know, right. like, Suits X or whatever. company, X yeah, yeah. company oh, shirt, sure. just like, yo, buy this, you know, yeah, because yeah. you're getting kickbacks from, you know, like, right. none of that shit, you know? Right, right, right. No, that's... No, like, no, at that point, no one was comfortable. I mean, I'm not even really comfortable that to, to this day. Like, right. I'll wear a shirt of something that I'm stoked on. <laughs> Right. Oh, here, here's a Mountain Dew sponsorship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, no, I, I, drink, I don't even drink soda, so right. you know, they have to pay me a lot of money to like roll out. <laughs> In order and, to and, just... and that's the funny thing. I wouldn't do that, but the reality is like everybody has a price. Right, right now, if Mountain Dew called me and was just like, "Yo, Chris, yeah, I, we know that you're nobody, right? But we want to give you a million dollars to wear our shirt because because we want we're this. fucking stupid. Right, 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 and we right. think that like because you wear the shirt, you actually sell units. Yeah, we'll give you a million dollars. I'd be like, where is the contract? Where's right. the check? So Let's figure this out, right? Because in my head, I'm just like, man, this is like, I could buy a house now. Like, right, right. Like, I don't have to, like, All these practical things yeah, I can do with it. practical things yeah. as being, like, a grown-ass man now that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. responsible. Like, I could put my money away, my, my Roth IRA. And, right, like, right. You know, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What, but, what, but I'm saying, like, you'd have to offer me a lot of fucking money to of do course. something that right, right, I would right. not be stoked on. And then, obviously, there are certain things. Like I said, if Mountain Dew called me and it's like, yeah, we'll give you millions of dollars, I'd be like, absolutely. Right, right, of course, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. This I'd, is, call my, I'd call my lawyer and be like, yo, right. there's, you are just about to get a good percentage. Right, right we're good, we're good like, here. We are fooling these people into thinking that, like, if they give me a million dollars and me have this one <laughs> fucking shirt, that it's going to be beneficial that we're to them in some, in some way. Yeah, some capacity. Yeah, some capacity. Um, and so then when, you, uh, when did you actually move out here to California? It happened twice. So, right. I mean, I know you guys moved out here and lived all together yeah. like in, like, was it Riverside or something? Yeah, Riverside, because yeah, yeah. our manager at the time was from Riverside, right. and he had a, he moved into a new house because he's just a businessman extraordinaire, and he, right. had, he had the old house that, which was pretty dope, and he was like, hey, I'll rent it to you guys for dirt cheap. You guys can live together, because every That's time cool. that we wrote records in the past, like, Derek used to live in West Palm Beach, which is an hour away from me, right. and then Jeff used to live in Miami, which is about 45 minutes south of me, so everybody was really broken up. Right. And we're like, yo, if we're going to write this record, you know, the follow-up to you come before you. Right. Let's live together. Let's be together. You know sure. what I mean? And I didn't actually live in that house. Uh, it was Derek, Ryan, Jeffrey, and our old merch guy slash tour manager, Steve. Okay. And then Derek quit and left. And then this dude, Jason, who ironically enough, plays guitar and sleigh bells with Derek. Now. Oh, the okay. guy that replaced him. Ryan, because him and Ryan were friends, and Jason's a really creative dude. He's a, he's an incredible tattoo artist. He's a really just he's a great guy, but he's also a really great guitar player and very just creative genuinely creative. Yeah. Him and Ryan, out of everybody, even though it, it it may not have been the most popular material, yeah, the material that like he wrote with Ryan is some of my favorite because both of them 
think the same way, but they come from different places. Sure. So sure. it was a really. It they was were a little bounce off each other. Really yeah, well. yeah, yeah. It was really like it was really really rad. Sure. You know, it was really really rad. Oh, so but but you but you moved up to California. You just didn't live with them. Oh, yeah. That's the point that I was going to try to say is like they were living there, and then I moved a little bit later because I was in a relationship with this girl. Okay. They moved out in December, and we were finishing up the cycle in May, mm-hmm. and she was graduating in like April May. So I was like, hey guys, move out. I'm going to live in Florida. When we finish the cycle, I'm going to pack a U-Haul with my girlfriend, and I'm going to move out move here. Move out here, got it. And when I moved out here, I'd have our manager. was like, hey, can you find a place to live? And he did, which was like, it was like 20 minutes away from those dudes lived. So okay. it was really close. Got it. Because they kind of had the hangout party house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I'm just kind of a chill dude. I don't like living yeah, you in vo- the party. I like being like... You like to be able to visit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Adjacent to the, like, I am adjacent to the party. When I want to stick my toe in it, I just go, hey, guys, let's have some beers and, like, let's get wild and kick shit. And then, like, all right, I'm leaving. Like, right. I'm going to go home. Right, right, right. mellow. And right. I need to separate from this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so so that, it, was, it was 2004 because we would want to write the record. And then right. Derek quit. And then we're like, okay, we're in a bit of a holding pattern because, like, how do we do this? Right. Okay, we get Jason. Okay, we get a new bass player. We write some material. Okay. Atlantic gave us a bunch of money. We went to Sweden and started, like, the, the version sessions. Right. Came back. They're like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> And then, and at that point, we're like, "All right, like this, this is not going to work because, like, this is this is creatively what we're going to make. Right? It might be a fucking weird hodgepodge of shit that should not go together. Right? But this is where we're at, and this is creatively where we're at. And if you guys don't want to be a part of this and put it out, release us from our contract. And they're like, "Well, no, we invest a lot of money into you." So our lawyer, who's an incredible woman and an incredible. Uh, lawyer yeah. was able to pull like some sort of poverty or she pulled some sort of shit where eventually like we just made it so difficult for them right they're just like just get out of here leave yeah like we just when did it when did it when did you guys actually get released from your contract from atlantic <sighs> it took a while I think, yeah i think it was like a six to nine month fucking ordeal ordeal and uh at that point we had like already started talking like ferret like trust kill one of the fucking right put out yeah we'll put it out again and it's just like fuck right no, you're like bro. not interested in that no, we already man, had that all the crap i mean yeah, I, yeah. i'm not going to talk shit about specific stuff but all the dumb shit that we had to go through with that guy and some of the shit that he said yeah, yeah. you know it's just like it's like oh, i already gave the money it's just like dude you owe us more money like right. we don't like it's just yeah yeah so much i don't want to get into i know a lot of trust kill bands have put public of course stuff come, yeah, yeah and like now it doesn't even matter trust kill's not a label poison right. it's not a band right so it's just dumb it's just dumb to say anything but it was just like yeah. The audacity that would be like, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll go back to you. Let's recapture yeah. that old glory. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, it would have been like, <laughs> the, the, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, not, not interested in that. So, yeah, we started talking, and like Ferret was really interested. And this right. other label that folded like not too long after we, yeah. we went on Ferret, they had like Clutch at the time. I forget, oh, okay. Forget what it was, but you know, they were very interested. But Ferret was like, okay, we know Carl, and he's a good dude, and we spent a lot of time with him, and like, he, uh, Warner, we were a little apprehensive because Warner had backing behind him. Right, right, right. And, like, uh, and, and Carl's like, don't worry. We don't leave function, us they yeah. give us money. We function, we are, we function autonomously from, from, from Warner. They just show up and give us money and everything's cool. Right. Along those lines, I'm sure. Right, 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 right. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a little bit more detail to it. But, yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, but yeah, so we started doing that and like, just kept writing. We just yeah. kept writing more and more songs. And at that point, like, Jason had left because he just didn't want to, uh, he was getting married and he just didn't really, just, it wasn't, he just didn't have the sort of level of love and commitment that Ryan and Jeffrey and I had. Right. Because we had been in it from day one. He just right. Wow. And they didn't no hard feelings. Like, yeah, like yeah. I said, Jason's. You're like, I get this. Real life, real life yeah, comes Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just, and he was also, he was, he's a tattooer and he had built right. himself as a tattooer and like, you know, I, I understood why he left. It was a bummer because I loved being in a band with the dude and, and writing with him was great. 
But, you know, it was, it was understood. So he quit, and like, it was like me, Jeff, and Ryan were like, okay, well, we got to do this shit as a three-piece. So it became like an opposite thing where like half the record was written with some people. Like, you know, obviously Jeffrey and I and Ryan involved. Right. And then the other half was just me, Jeffrey, and Ryan, pretty much. Right. And um, so, yeah, the, the Atlantic thing is just eventually we just got out of it. Right. But, you know, then it took time to negotiate the terms for the trust, or not trust, for the, the, the fair, fair, the fair yeah. deal. And it was like the way it was sort of happening, we were going back to Sweden, northern Sweden in wintertime, which was fucking yeah, stupid. <laughs> I think that was the only availability that right, we had that, yeah. and we were just like, fuck, man, like, I don't want to, I don't want to get up at like 11 o'clock in the morning and it already be like going dark. Right. Like, that's <laughs> not the way you work. Right. Unfortunately enough, it was like the first time ever in Sweden that because of global warming and all that stuff that like, uh, that like it didn't snow. It wasn't considered winter because it had not re- oh, reached wow. below zero. Zero. It was like sometimes it was just sludge. Yeah, yeah Sludge yeah. would fall out of the skies. Like we were walking to the studio because our cottage, little domain area that we, we were staying in, mm-hmm. was like a walking distance to the studio. Got it. So we'd walk every day, you know. Right. And right. sometimes Ryan would wake up early uh, to go because we we tracked we tracked all the drums in like this little lodge, like this like little wooden octagonal barn, like mm-hmm. fucking in route to like Norway. It was like not super super far, but it was like a little bit of a yeah, trek yeah. out there. So we did the little mobile studio. We did that, and then we're, once we were done doing all the drums, we took it back to Tone Technique, which was like the place that Pele right. and Esco Lovestrom that they worked out of, and sure. like, you know all the gear that they had from the years. And like it wasn't the original Tone Technique that they did shape. Right, that one was like across town, but we took everything back there because at that point, then you have endless amps, endless mics, endless right, 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 real shit. Obviously, as Poison Well started to, you know, uh, drift away, where it's like, you know, you guys weren't active, and you know, you yeah, could, that didn't become a part of your life. Was there were there moments that you obviously were like, oh shit, what am I going to do? Were there moments of like actual fear from your perspective, or were you like, no, I, I mean, I'm scared about the unknown, but I know that I'm going to keep drumming. Uh, I, I, well, I mean, post Poison Well, or yeah, like in po- that in that because there was the period of time in which we didn't do, we weren't active for two or three years, and then yep. we came out with versions, and right. then we put out. Like, that period of time, like, I didn't know where it was going to go. There was a several, certain level of uncertainty. Right. And I knew that I had to see it to the end. Because sure. I was part of the inception. Right. And I felt like, for my own knowledge of knowing that, like, I gave it everything. And I was part of everything. And it was just, I I committed myself to that band. And I was not not going to uh, let up until that, until the day that me, Jeff, and Ryan, you know, the core. Right. Were like, Okay. We've done this. We've done this. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time. Sure, sure. You know, and that and that was that. That was that whole thing. So I there was the ups and downs of like us not trying forever. And then right. finishing up versions. I remember listening to a copy as I was coming home. I think it was like two thousand seven. I was coming home two thousand seven yeah. Christmas Day. And I remember listening to it and being like, Okay, cool, this is really fucking weird. Yeah. And this is like a really like there's a lot of shit going on on here that's never yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's blues going on in hardcore music. Right, right. Yeah, you no, it I mean? was yeah, it was a challenging record. Once again, that was a pre that was a Ryan Premack, you know, thing. He that was that was him. And you know, I'm I once and I'm grateful maybe, you know, maybe that's not a popular record. Right. Maybe no one gives a shit about it. Maybe it won't ever be looked upon as anything, but like for me to know that like we took country, we took blues, we took punk rock, we took hardcore, yeah. we took rock, and we put it together. And just made this this fucking like rad shit sandwich. Right, right, right. No, well, I mean it was it's, <laughs> you know? it's a very it's a very challenging record to listen to, but it's like when you. Put it's also it... a reflection too. Right. That was the thing. That's every record was a reflection of all of us, a collective reflection of where we all were musically and personally in our lives. Sure. And there's so much dissonance, and there's just so much like 
chaoticness on that record because that is what was happening right. from like Derek quitting to leaving Atlantic to like people going in and out and you know people dealing with personal losses you know family members dying right that's why that record was what it was people were like oh why don't you go and just write this record it's like Poison Well was never a band that could just be like oh we're just gonna fucking go in and write radio hits <laughs> right, we're gonna right. go and write like whatever mosh parts it was just like yeah, yeah, yeah. It, to us it was just very like disingenuous to do that there sure. had to be honesty behind what we were doing or we wouldn't feel good doing it right 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 so you know that shit sandwich was the a audio communication of the shit sandwich that the, the all of us had been dealing with right. for like two or three years right 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 which I mean makes total sense because like you said every record was a reflection of that yeah. um, when you start I mean like what you're doing now like like playing in Big Black Delta, and like you said, a hired gun. Like you know, you're kind mm-hmm. of you know doing whatever stuff. Obviously, makes sense that comes across your desk, so to yeah. speak. It must be fun for you to obviously experiment with so many different styles. Like I mean, yeah. to like obviously play in a band like Poison the Well, do time and you know so much other shit that you've done, yeah. and to be able to play all these diverse things and still be able to like do it, you know, because there are so many drummers where it's like they get locked into a certain pattern and then removing yeah, them from that pattern. pattern yeah. I mean, I still have way more to learn. Like, I don't know shit about jazz. Like, I know a little bit about Latin. Right. You know, I, my strengths are being a rock drummer. Yep. You know, I could go in and play a pop gig. Obviously, electronic thing I can do. And, I, and you know, you learn more as you go along with it. Now I'm learning, like, excuse me, with Big yep. Black Delta, it's at, it's at a budget level right now where, like, John doesn't have the money to really fully invest into the big production and, and the big everything. Sure. But it's, it's, it's going that way. It's right. Things, you know, things are picking up, you know. And things are you know, getting a lot of festival offers. You know, in about a month from now, we're going to be in, you know doing Reading and Leeds, yeah. which is going to be killer, which is a great exposure for us. For sure. But I, I think that you know, like I said, as I'm going along and learning it, and it's like this is the electronic world now. So I could see that once there's more money, then it's like, okay, Chris, we're going to start putting triggers on your drums, and we're going to start adding like electronic pads where you're going to start setting shit off, and like, right? You know, yeah, it's a simple. Most of the stuff in Big Black Delta is extremely simple, right? But it's extremely fun. The simplicity of it gives it. You can so just much. yeah, you just lock into it and feel. Yeah. And John and I are kind of creating this like sort of dynamic now, where like he he sings, he writes all the material, but we right. have tracks, and like everything is on tracks. It's two drummers, a bass player, a vocalist, and tracks. Right. But he runs it through Ableton to where he has this whole little like pad where he could like break the tracks in the subdivisions, he could pitch up and down his vocals, he could add reverb, he could add delay, like he could just basically, could, it's like a little control station. Right. I play in in-ears, so it doesn't matter if we're playing in an arena or like a bar. Right. I hear exactly what he's doing. So him and I do this thing to where like he'll be playing and he'll call shit out to me. He'll be like three, which means he's going to break the track into like the subdivisions of three. So I understand what he's going to do. He's going to, he, he like, it's, it's kind of like the James Brown thing where he like, you, I have to look at him and see what he's going to do. He's signaling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's following sig- him. He's, yeah, yeah. he's signaling to me. Yeah. You, you know, like, and I'm like, okay, cool. He's going to want right here. He's going to, because he's just like, do whatever you want. Because I remember the first day that I rolled up, I was like, well, do you want me to play exactly off the record? And we're going to have electronic pads, all this bullshit. And he's <laughs> right. like, do whatever you want. And I was just like, okay, cool. Yeah, all right. And I that's that. what I did. And I showed up and he's just like, awesome. You do everything I want you to do. This is, this is perfect. Yeah. And I'm like, cool. Like, rad. I'm shot in the dark. I'm glad this, this works. And then, we went on tour, we toured with M83 and Jane's Addiction. And that tour, we started figuring out, it's like, oh, it'd be really cool if you just soloed on this part. It's like, okay, well, I'm not, soloing's not my strength, but you know what? Now I'm going to have to learn to fucking solo and, right, and, get right. better, and get better at it. You right. know, and like, even to this last tour, there's a song where he just started breaking shit into weird subdivisions. I just kind of started kind of, you know, lightly soloing over it. Yeah, and yeah. It's just like, that's awesome. So, yeah. Well, I just think, I think, I mean, 
in tracking what you've done, obviously, professionally in music over the years, like it just, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where it's just like you've always viewed what you do as a craft yeah. and building all these pieces to make you a more well-rounded musician. Like, it's just cool. And it gives, I mean, for me, who's never pl- like created music as far as writing it, um, it's just always cool to see people that like, you know, it. Having a craft, like being able to build a couch or being able to build yeah. something, is the same exact thing yeah. as building drums. And it's like, like my background I come from. My dad's, yeah. a, my dad's a carpenter. Right, exactly. Shit, you know what I mean? And that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he builds foundations for stuff or he adds flair to stuff or like depending upon what right. sort of situation he's put in. And that's essentially what I do. Like right. I lay the groundwork for something. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like okay, this is the type of beat that I want. Or like, right. hey, this is the beat that I was thinking. Right. And I like, lay the foundation and I start dressing it up with yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, dynamics yeah. and little like, you know, right. little, little, little idiosyncrasies and little like just little things. You know sure, what I mean? Sure. To, to like make it. Right. Make it whole. Make yeah, it, yeah. To, to me, like drumming, drumming wise, like it's always about, it's always been about the song to me, mm. the song for me, whether I was competent and capable to give fully to what the song needed in my early days. I wasn't, right. I wasn't, I don't think as, especially where I'm at now musically, like I wasn't fully there right. to, to give what, what was needed, whether it's just a straight beat or like a, this weird feel like I've point being is I've always just tried to give to the song and that's the most important part to me as a song. Like I know a lot of drummers that just like kind of like you know, musical masturbate over stuff. Right, right. Solo over shit. And they think that's like some sort of like, like, okay, cool, I just did all this shit, so it's going to be rad. It's just like, eh, well, you kind of like ruined the song. Right. You know, and it, it, whether it is that, whether the song calls for that or the call song calls for just a four on the floor or just a simple two, four backbeat. Right. Like, that's the most important thing to me. Yeah. Is to make sure that like, I make the song better. I don't make the song worse. And, 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 at the end of the day, I contribute to a good song. That's vital. Yeah. Don't think there's any better place to leave that off because that is like, that is a a nugget of wisdom right there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for doing this, dude. I appreciate it. So there you go. That is Chris Hornbrook. Yeah, like I said, we talked forever. I I, I always feel bad because, you know, all these conversations, they go into really interesting places and I always have this thing in my head being like, dude, I got to keep it around an hour. But then sometimes I kind of just let it roll and then we end up in very interesting places and yeah, it's just cool. So, Chris and I had a great conversation, and uh, yeah, great dude. Check out his new musical stuff. You can find him online pretty easily. He has his own website, um, and uh, he also plays in Big Black Delta, which uh, does a pretty decent amount of touring, uh, a lot of international stuff. So check it out, because he, I mean, above all, he's just a great drummer. It's, it's awesome to watch a person hone their craft for years and years and years, and that's exactly what he has done. So uh, until next week, visit propertyofzack.com, visit 100wordspodcast.com, Visit howweare.org. And the editor for this episode, as always, is Tom Richfield. And uh, yeah, until next week, be safe, everybody. Mm-hmm.